Hi, I'm Rochelle, and you're listening to BoxBox F1 Pod. Today, we're reviewing my home race, the U.S. Grand Prix, otherwise known as uh, a place where cars drive around in the same vicinity as Brad Pitt. Did you guys know that Brad Pitt was there? Did you know he was at the U.S. Grand Prix? More specifically, did you know where he was? The Pitt Lane? Do you get it? This is the first time anyone has said that joke this weekend, and it's really, really good. I should repeat it like 50 million more times. <laughs> JK. Anyways, before we dive into this like actually kind of wild race, uh, it's time for the digital warm-up. Do do do. Okay, lap one, F1 news. Dietrich Matashitz. Dietrich Dietrich Matashitz. Matashitz? Matashitz? Dietrich Matashitz. Don't know if that's how you say it, but uh, he is the co-founder of Red Bull, and he has unfortunately passed away after a very long battle with illness. Um, I don't know why I never thought about it before he died, but um, I learned that he was, like, he helped found the racing team and was also, like, hugely involved and influential in its development and the hiring of the team and the drivers. Everyone was super shaken up about his death. Uh, Daniel, Max, Seb. Seb even went to the Red Bull uh, garage to hug everyone when he heard. It was really sweet. Um, Christian was also really upset. And I think also Dr. Helmut Marco was very close to him and also pretty shaken by the news. So um, to commemorate him, they I guess they all wore jeans and were blasting Rolling Stones in the garage, which apparently was his vibe. And it seems like a really nice way to commemorate someone. Um, Christian also said that he used to always say no risk, no fun, which seems honestly like just makes total sense for the founder of Red Bull, like it's Red Bull and one and four words. <laughs> um, it's such a Red Bull sentiment. Anyways, uh, Dietrich clearly had a huge impact on the world, specifically the sport of F1 and more specifically Red Bull as a team. Um, so may his memory be a blessing and my condolences to the whole Red Bull team and Dietrich's family. All right, another news, the Red Bull cost cap. So much to everyone's shock, Red Bull has been found in breach of the cost cap. And when I say everyone's shock, I mean no one's shock except for Christian Hortners, who is absolutely floored by this accusation. The basics of this are that the FAA have found that Red Bull exceeded the cost cap by $145 million in 2021, which is a minor breach. I think it's less than 5%. Um, but Christian and the team obviously aggressively deny this. Both parties seem super eager to resolve this, though, and said they want it solved by the end of the weekend. But uh, Dietrich's death put a halt to those talks to give them some time to mourn, and the talks should pick up midweek. So maybe we'll have an answer by Mexico. Um, now, it might seem kind of weird for there to be anything to talk about. Like, it sounds like they broke the rules and they need to be held accountable. But um, the way Christian explained it during the press conference is that part is that the part that's up to interpretation is whether the relevant costs are within the cap. According to Christian, Red Bull had zero benefit from a development perspective or from an operational perspective. Um and he also kept reiterating that it's a new program, it's a new protocol, like things are, they're still trying to like, g 
gauge how to approach the situation. So there's no firm procedure in place and they're sort of like figuring it out as they go. The same sort of went for the actual rules, which he said were like 50 pages long and they're like new and they're still trying to see what works and what doesn't work. The only part of that that the other uh, team principals agreed with was the fact that um, 5% seemed high <laughs> as like um, as a window for people to overspend. Um which, when it's, like, in the millions, yeah, it's kind of high. Um, but anyway, so um, whoever organized the press conferences, once again, has struggled because they paired Zach Brown and Christian Horner together. And um, last week, Zach Brown sent a letter to the FIA, F1, and he CC'd several F1 teams, specifically those who were not accused of breaching the cost cap or any other procedures, and expressed his opinion that any breach is equal to cheating, and that this should not go unpunished, etc., etc. And he also outlined how he thinks the punishment should be handled. Basically, it's a relatively brutal letter. When asked about it at this press conference, Christian said that he was shocked, shocked that they would be accused of cheating by a fellow competitor. He thinks it's absolutely appalling that without any information, other teams would feed into this narrative built and perpetuated by the media that they are cheaters. And Zach counters quite poorly, I might add, that he wasn't actually referring to any team in particular and that he was just speaking in generals. Um, one of the questions that was asked later was why he felt this was the point in time that he needed to release this letter. And his response is that he just felt like he wanted to voice his opinions, um, which might be the most American thing I've ever heard. Um, but anyway, Christian, the brilliant real housewife that he is, of course, takes his, like, retaliation once again, like, a little too far. <laughs> he says that it's interesting how Zach has, collect uh, has selective memory about his own letter because they were clearly accusing Red Bull of being cheaters because they were the only ones accused and they also weren't even CC'd on the letter. And then uh, Christian goes on to say that the media, and by extension Zach, are suggesting, suggesting draconian punishment, and that this has had a heavy toll on the mental health of the team. Not just regarding the drivers, but he went so far as to say that the children of employees are being bullied on school playgrounds, and that this behavior has got to stop. To be fair, there was a video circulating of fans shouting cheaters at Max and Checo over the weekend. And while I'm sure Christian has a point in that things are exaggerated in the media and that people do not have all the information when they're making these claims and that also the drivers had absolutely nothing to do with this. So to blame them or to bully them, I guess, um, is uh, wrong and unfair um, and it's sort of aiming your frustration at the wrong party. But to accuse the media, and by extension Zach Brown, of perpetuating the bullying of children on school playgrounds might be taking it a step too far. However, in terms of entertainment, please give Christian the center Pirelli tire because this is gold. As my friend puts it, as my friend Lexi puts it, drama spice is out here stirring things up, and he's great at it. So, Andy Cohen, you should really consider the real team principles of F1 <laughs> as, as a new franchise. Um, all right, 
Uh, final piece of F1 news is that Williams have confirmed that they have extended a conditional offer to Logan Sargent. Um, he's currently an F2 driver, and should he gain enough super license points by um, the Abu Dhabi finale this year, he will for sure be driving for Williams next year, which is kind of exciting because A, an American driver, he's a very cute kid. Um, he's going to be driving with Alex. Um, so that might actually be a team I have to root for. <laughs> Williams fan 2023 coming up. <laughs> Lap two, off the grid. So the Circuit of Americas kickstarted their environmental initiative by honoring Seb Vettel's retirement with the launch of Vettel Grove, which will feature 296 planted trees to represent the total number of race starts Seb has had as of the U.S. Grand Prix weekend this, this year. And Seb helped plant the first tree. Um, the wholesome tribute aside, I have to shout out what an incredible name Vettel Grove is. Like, great branding, iconic, sounds so good. Whoever came up with that, I hope you got a raise. Um, in other news, Connor Sketches is at the Grand Prix, and I am already so excited for what's coming, coming up based on what we've seen. Um, if you don't follow Connor, I'll link him in the show notes, but his impressions are iconic, and he does all sports, not just F1, but F1 resonates most with me. Um, but so a couple of the things that have aired was a sketch with Mercedes where he pretended to be George in a helmet having a discussion with Toto. And then the real George Russell comes in and um, he's like, but I'm here. And then Connor under the helmet is like, but I'm here. And Toto looks at, at helmet George and goes, remove the helmet. Uh, which was hilarious and also proved that Toto has acting chops. And what it also proved was that George has fewer acting chops, but I do have to um, give George a pass because I don't think a single one of the drivers could keep it together around Connor sketches. <laughs> it was actually kind of hilarious. Um, he also posed as Carlos during a Sky interview and the tagline underneath said, Carlos Chilearia signs for Smootheria Ferrari. Um, and when Carlos showed up, uh, Connor tried to keep going with the bit, but Carlos just like lost it and was like, it's so good, no? <laughs> and, and then just started like interviewing Connor. Um, he asked to hear how Connor sounds in real life and literally almost fell over. He was like, that was not expecting that uh, because Connor turns out is very, very Irish. Um, also blew my mind, to be honest, because to, the first thing I thought was, oh my god, it's Niall Horan from One Direction. And then I was like, oh, this might be rude to Irish people that they don't all sound alike. But then I looked it up and Connor is also from Mullingar, which is where Niall is from. So he does sound like Niall. <laughs> um, I wonder if he started with Niall impressions and just worked his way up to, like, every other human being on the planet. Um... Still, we'll never forget Charles being like, is it that? <laughs> he just puts on a different hat. A few other uh, great moments. Uh, well, to be honest, they were American, like, uh-ohs <laughs> um, that were obviously bound to happen. We're in America. Um, and I honestly, some of these, I can't tell if these are worse or on par than the fake Marina. 
But the first one was um, calling Daniel Ricardo an eight-time world champion. Not only is Daniel not an eight-time world champion, there is no eight-time world champion. There is a, there are two seven-time world champions, um, but no eight-time world champion. And then the second one was the announcer, when they all run on stage, the announcer announcing uh, the drivers pronounced Joe Guan Yu's name in such a catastrophic way that I can't even repeat it. I'm going to have to play it for you guys. Driver, Jacques Ranjou. Who's the big driver? Jacques Ranjou. Who's the big driver? Jacques Ranjou. Jacques Ranjou. <laughs> like, it's almost comical how poorly it's pronounced. Um, and I'd like to take this moment to throw back to a moment of almost equal egregiousness, um, maybe, um, when last year Charles was called Chuck. Someone brought that up this year and was like, Charles or Chuck as he's known in the States. And Charles was like, immediately no. Like, visceral reaction to the name Chuck. <laughs> Chuck, Charles is not down with Chuck. Um, maybe when he gets drunk, Chuck comes out, you know? Um, in other news, and I'm sure everyone saw this, but Daniel rocked up on a horse. Um, somehow, Daniel always manages to out-American himself every single year. Um, this year, that evolved entering the track on a horse with a posse of country singers. Um, there was a man with a guitar. They were dressed to the nines. Um, but it's like, he clearly has senioritis. He's accepted his fate. He gives zero fucks anymore. I kind of love it. Like, the pressure's off. He knows, like, he just needs to enjoy every last minute. And he is. When else can you enter a paddock on a horse? Never. Um, however, American culture seems to be where Daniel draws the line. He was asked if he would join IndyCar, and he went, fuck that oval scare me. So that's a hard no from Daniel on IndyCar. <laughs> um, in other news, Alex is fully blonde now, which oddly works for him. Um, I think. I'm still debating. It doesn't not work, but I'm still not sure. I've still not decided if it works, works. Uh, but Lily, his girlfriend, was also at the race, and them together always is just the best thing ever. Um, there was, like, a golf off for the drivers where they did, they practiced their drives or something. Um, and they, uh, uh, Alex posted a photo of him and Lily standing in front of the setup and goes, uh, why are we playing Lily's sport on my paddock which fair but also lily's the best and there's just no getting around it also quick social media content um motorsport.com posted on social that yuki and nick will set an unusual record in 2023 as the shortest duo on the grid with yuki at 159 centimeters aka 5-2 and nick at 167 centimeters which is 5-4 uh, Nick reshared uh, the post on his story and wrote, I'm actually 168 centimeters, which is barely 5'5". Uh, Yuki reshared Nick's story, wrote, sure, and then drew like an arrow across Nick's hair and wrote 10 centimeters, uh, which in Yuki's defense, you Nick does have big hair, but so does Yuki. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, but then Pierre reshared Yuki's story on his story and wrote, what size are you talking about? <laughs> Which Nick reshared with like that nervous wide eye red cheek emoji. Um, anyways, the point I'm making with all this is that as sad as I am that the Gastonoda era is coming to an end, it seems that Nick and Yuki are set to have, like, a pretty fun friendship, too. Um, they just need a name as epic as Gastonoda. We could do Desunoda, Vrisonoda, Suvris, Nikki, uh, Yuki and... Nick, we, we'll work on it to be determined. I think we need to sense their vibe before we dive into a name. Um, anyway, uh, Charles turned 25 on October 16th. Um, also, his brother turned 22 on October 14th. So they're literally like two days apart. But um, even though there was no race during Charles's actual birthday, Ferrari made sure to have some belated celebrations for Charles and Austin. They made him a giant red, black, and white cake with a piano on the top and a race flag, like, draping it and uh, random little chess pieces on it. Uh, Carlos carried out the whole thing and uh, the whole paddock sang happy birthday to Charles and it was really cute. He blew out the candles, picked up the cake, and then the chess pieces started falling off, which is just such an apt representation for Charles' season. Looks great. And then it falls apart, which literally reminds me of this Bake Off uh, season where it was like a celebrity season. This British comedian named James Ackister was on and he has this iconic quote where he goes, started making it, had a meltdown, bon appetit. And I think that sums up Ferrari season perfectly. Uh, all right. In other news, there were quite a few celebs that rocked up to Austin. Uh, Will Arnett, Scott Eastwood, Chloe Grace Moretz, Claire Holt of H2O fame. Shout out to any H2O watchers out there. Uh, Ed Sheeran was there. Obviously, Tim Cook. How could we forget the Apple CEO? And last but certainly not least is Brad Pitt. And the number of pit lane jokes that were made. I cannot even. It is thoroughly unacceptable for grown adults to continuously make this joke. I am looking at you, Sky F1. <laughs> also, as part of, by the way, for anyone that doesn't remember, Brad Pitt is doing a film about, what, like a historical fiction film about a specific moment in F1 history. Not sure which one. Lewis Hamilton is rumored to star in said film. So theoretically, this is all research. Like, since this is like technically like research, can he like submit an expense to the studio and get reimbursed for the Grand Prix visit? Don't know. Um, but uh, Brad Pitt also did a hot lap with Charles and a clip went up online. And I have to say, this is straight up the calmest hot lap I've ever seen. Like, I'd expect this, like, psychopathic calmness from, like, a crazy person like Tom Cruise. But I don't know how Brad is so chill. He is, like, just in his, like, linen suit in his white little bucket hat, like, acting like Charles is cruising through a school zone, um, 
just wild behavior. Um, when they get out, he uh, gives Charles a hug and it's wholesome. All right, lap three, outfit of the day. So we've got quite a few outfit situations to discuss. First up, I can't start this segment without talking about Brad Pitt and his incredible style throughout all of 2022. He's been wearing like custom linen matching sets that are like somewhere between a tracksuit and scrubs and like a casual suit. Um, it's just amazing. He wore an all blue one with like a white bucket hat and it just looked so, 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 so good. So good. Um, on race day, he kept up with the matching, uh, concept, but he went all denim. He had like a denim shirt and like, uh, destroyed jeans. What's the word? What's the word for destroyed jeans? Anyway, um, honestly, Brad Pitt, distressed, <laughs> distressed jeans. Um, but honestly, Brad Pitt could wear anything. We were a bit oversaturated on Brad Pitt and Pitt Lane jokes, but I, I'll accept it anyway because it's Brad Pitt. Um, in other news, uh, Charles and his girlfriend Charlotte were pictured walking through the paddock. Charles is wearing what you'd expect, his Ferrari team shirt, Ferrari red track pants. Charlotte, on the other hand, is wearing Ferrari red, just to describe the color. It's not Ferrari merch. She's wearing, like, a Ferrari red cropped jacket and, like, Ferrari red pants. But none of it is team issued. Um, and honestly, this color red should never be worn head to toe unless you are required to do so. <laughs> um, but... What I feel like happened here is that uh, Charlotte saw how good Carmen and George looked doing like the low-key boy band matching thing where it's like general aesthetic vibe and color palette match. And so she was like, we should do that. And Charles was like, hard pass. Um, and he refused to take off his team kit. So Charlotte had to like adapt to the situation. And the result was Charlotte wearing head to toe red and I'm sorry Charlotte love you but I hate this decision <laughs> like I'm, I'm not into it um also would be remiss not to give a quick shout out to the Gunther merch that has littered the paddock including Mick who wandered through wearing a shirt with a giant Gunther face on it and the quote we look like a bunch of legends Incredible merch content. I don't know how it has not been done up until this point. As Jen Shaw from Real Housewives of Salt Lake City would say, turn any opportunity into merch. It can all be made into merch. Um, I will be buying this. And I think it's a little sad that my entire personality is now F1 merch. But here we are. <laughs> um, now, the most fun part of the U.S. Grand Prix fashion segment is rating the cowboy wear. Um, it would not be the Austin Grand Prix if we didn't culturally appropriate cowboy culture. <laughs> cowboy hats, cowboy boots, bolo ties, unfortunately. All of these were seen in excessive amount around the paddock. So we're going to rank the best who wore it best. This is not cowboy wear, but I need to start with this. Um, Charles's helmet is clearly very Austin themed. It says, add some barbecue flavor to your hashtag USGP. 
and that makes zero sense. So I'm giving it a 2 out of 10. He gets two points because he was really happy with this helmet, and I'm not sure why, but I'll give him two points. Next up is Danny Rick entering the paddock on a horse in a cowboy hat and in an American flag bomber jacket with a toothpick in his mouth and accompanied by two cowboy-looking men, one of whom is playing like a country tune. 12 out of 10 for commitment, looking cool, and like not looking like he robbed a party city. Just excellent. Um, up next, Pierre and Yuki, who look like they just shove cowboy boots on with their regular outfits. Their jeans are tucked into the boots. Um, it honestly looks like they're about to go wade through a swamp. Very low effort. Four out of ten. Four points for being Gasanota. <laughs> All right, next is Guan Yu, who's wearing Prada sunglasses, a cool jacket. He has a brown cowboy hat on. He's in a cowboy hat shop. Um, Honestly, he's trying it on. I don't know if you bought it, but it's, like, understated. It looks like a fashion statement. So, like, just straight up 8 out of 10 for coolness and making it fashion. He made a fashion, and that's hard to do in these situations. Next is Lance, who looks kind of hot. <laughs> um, he looks like he should be in that one film, the, the Nicholas Sparks film about the bull riders that had Clint Eastwood, not Clint Eastwood, Scott Eastwood in it. Or he looks like he's in Friday Night Lights. Regardless, he's, he's standing next to an Aston Martin in a cowboy hat, aviators, a white t-shirt tucked into blue jeans with a black belt that has a big buckle on it, and uh, cowboy boots. Cowboy boots are, very importantly, not tucked into his jeans. He looks cool, effortless, and oddly natural. Honestly, the most natural I've ever seen him. So 10 out of 10 for Lance. Um, Next is Mick, who actually has a ranch in Texas, so he's a step above the rest. He probably actually owns this hat, was not on loan. (laughs) He's wearing a white cowboy hat and his racing suit, which has been, like, glammed out with the American flag for the Austin Grand Prix. Um, I'm indifferent about the racing suit, but he looks great. So, um, I'm giving him a 7 out of 10 because he's only wearing a hat and there's nothing else going on. All right. Last up, Charles and Carlos, um, they are wearing their Ferrari shirts with blue jeans tucked into brown cowboy boots, and they are both wearing cowboy hats with a string that, like, tightens, and it has a star on it, and they honestly look like they're cosplaying Woody from Toy Story. It's not good. Two out of ten. <laughs> they look terrible. <laughs> um, okay, well, that concludes our digital warm-up. On to the race rhyme. Howdy, y'all. We're racing in Austin. Hopefully this week we can proceed with a bit less caution. Danny Rick pulls up on a horse like it's the Old Spice GP. And Brad Pitt is right here in the paddock. Did you see? He did a hot lap, super chill, like he didn't even shit. 
Should we rename the pit lane the Brad Pitt? Carlos is on pole when it's lights out and away we go. But then George pulls a George and is like, nah, bro, GTFO. Carlos is out from a tap and soon Valtteri gets beached by a gust of wind. Gee, will just about anything make these cars spin? Enter the Alpine, aka a monster truck in disguise. Turns out nothing can be the cause of its demise. Alonso tries overtaking Lance, but Lance isn't about to give up his race. He swerves and like Bezos's thick ship, the Alpine launches into space. And while Lance's debris is all over the track, Fernando pits for a hot sec and then he's back. Okay, now a quick rundown of what happened once we started again. Max is leading, but then a bad pit stop sets him back and he is not zen. But Max overtakes Charles, that battle was fun, and Lewis overtakes Seb into P1. Then Seb pits for 16 seconds as Max inches his way closer to the F1 legend. And then Max and Lewis go wheel to wheel in the battle so in sync it's quite a sight. It almost feels like a well-choreographed reenactment of the 2021 championship fight. But Max pulls through and wins the race, followed closely by Lewis and Charles' beautiful face. And Lando does three overtakes in the last few laps. And Fernando finishes seventh, but loses it because the FIA sucks ass. And Seb battles Kevin right over the finish line because Seb slaps. By the way, you'll never guess who waved the checkered flag. Was it Brad, Ed, Eve, or maybe even Shaq? No, it was none other than the well-known face of Apple CEO Tim Cook, looking like he was told he had to use a Windows phone for life because he was so glum and shook. Anyways, viva la Checa, we're off to Mexico City. Let's hope the next flag waver is a bit more litty. Okay, on to analysis. Um, a bit on qualifying. Uh, Joe Guan Yu did make it into Q3, but his lap time was deleted because he exceeded track limits. Um, exceeding track limits will be a theme over the course of the weekend but since his lap time was deleted Lando was able to squeeze into Q3 otherwise um Carlos ended up beating Charles for pole position by six one hundredths of a second and he got on the radio and said I knew it was coming which was very sweet um Charles did end up finishing second but because of an engine change he got a 10 place penalty and started 12th instead um, and there were actually a few penalties happening. Um, so the actual starting grid ended up being Carlos in first, Max in second, Lewis in third, followed by George, Lance, Lando, Valtteri, Alex, Checo, who had a penalty, Seb, Pierre, Charles, who had a penalty, Kevin, Fernando, who had a penalty, Daniel, Mick, Latifi, Joe, who had a penalty, Yuki, who had a penalty, and Ocon, who chose to do a pit lane start. All right, let's talk about the race. So I'm going to be honest, I thought this race was going to be a total snooze fest for the first, like, half of it. It seemed pretty boring. And then out of nowhere, it picked up and got so exciting. So we'll touch on the start and the first couple of incidents, but we're going to focus on some of the like, most amazing battles, overtakes, uh, performances from drivers that we got to experience on Sunday. So, um, quickly, before the race started, Lewis had a brake issue, um, and he noticed it during the formation lap. So, um, literally 10 minutes before the race, they're changing, like, all the brake shit, which normally would take, like, a minimum of 30 minutes, um, but they had 10 minutes to do it and they're like super calm about it. I would be freaking out. And there is an FIA rep like peering over at their work to make sure they're rep replacing everything like equal, like the exact same so that there's no cheating and it has to be like for like. Um, so that was stressful, but they did it, which is highly impressive. Um, 
So at the start, Carlos is on pole, Max is in second. There's a lot of pressure on him to have a great start and take the lead before Max has a chance to get the upper hand. But unfortunately for Carlos, Max is the king of starts. And um, it seemed that Carlos didn't have the best control over the tires and they kind of were spinning. Um, Perhaps he would have had the opportunity to take back control and assume first again, or at the very least, keep a strong second. But we never got to see that because, of course, by turn one, Carlos, who had like a nice wide run, was still very much on the racing line. And then George basically came out of nowhere and collided with him. Well, collided is a, collided is a strong word. George tapped him, but it did send Carlos like spinning off track and put him immediately in last place. Um, then he complained about a puncture, so he comes in at the end of the lap, and they push him into the garage, and he ends up DNFing because there was a water leak caused from the incident. It was super sad to see Carlos's race end like this, especially when he started from pole. He had such a great qualifying, and to see it all just, like, spin away from him <laughs> was tragic. And his, his, um, his radio message was, like, his voice was just heartbreaking. Um, I honestly think he might have absorbed all of the birthday curse, like, repercussions from Charles and just taken it on all himself because this was sad. Um, George did get a five-second penalty, which to me seems kind of light, considering he ruined Carlos's car and took him out of the race. I'm still, like, unsure how five-second penalties are applied for such, like, a wide array of situations. Like, later on in the race, Latifi gets a five-second penalty for pushing Mick off the track. Surely this is worse, like, colliding and ruining someone's race is worse than forcing someone off track a bit. I don't know. I don't know what's right, but, like, the five-second penalty seems to be, like, an umbrella penalty for anything, pretty much. Also, for the next few laps, people kept complaining about the wind, and I guess it actually was kind of gusty because, um, it seems to have caused Valtteri to spin and get beached in the gravel. Um, this brings out a safety car, and apparently it's the first safety car at the U.S. Grand Prix since, like, 2015. Um, this gives some drivers a chance to pit who hadn't already, i.e. Charles. Um, by the way, at this point, Ferrari announced that they are on plan E. E. How are they on E already? But when Charles, like, <laughs> when Charles comes in for his free pit stop during the safety car... Um, it's a really good safety, uh, it's a really good pit stop, so the commentator says, this must be plan F for fabulous. Um, and all I can hear is Sharpay <laughs> towels imported from Turkey, Ferraris imported from Italy, and Charles imported from Mana, 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 Co. Anyway, we'll come back to Charles. <laughs> Um, but Valtteri obviously DNF'd and could no longer participate. Um, and then we kept going, and what do you know, a lap later, um, there's another incident. At this point, Max is leading, followed by Lewis, Checo, Charles, George, Seb, Stroll, Pierre, and Alonso. Um, but a few seconds into the restart, Alonso overtakes Pierre into eighth, and now is closing in on Lance. And he goes for the overtake, and they hit each other. On the replay, like, you can see that Fernando went to the left of Lance, and then you can see Lance's helmet slightly turned to the mirror, see Fernando go there, and then he, I guess he tried to block him, but he also swerved left, 
And instead of blocking him, he, I guess, underestimated how far ahead he was of Fernando because Fernando ran into him. <laughs> um, and it literally launched Lonzo straight up into the air um, before he, like, did a wheelie. And then he landed back down and kept driving straight into the pit lane where they changed uh, his tires and his front wing. And then he went back out. Lance, on the other hand, spun across the field, set debris everywhere. There's like a detached wheel rolling away, like slowly. Um, and he's out of the race. Um, on the radio, he said, I crashed, which many people took as a sign of acknowledgement that he had messed up. Although later on, he said that he gave Fernando plenty of space, which is funny. <laughs> There was no space. Um, but at the time, Stu said that they would review the incident after the race once they were able to talk to both drivers and to, like, finish up this incident. Now, um, after the race, Lance was given a three-grid penalty drop for the next race for causing the crash. Alonzo was able to resume the race. He came in last, but um, he finished the race in P7, which is crazy. Dude was flying, um, landed, did a wheelie, like survived, and still worked his way up to P7. That is wild. Um, he did say after the race that he didn't feel anything, like, in the moment while he was racing, but now he's starting to feel a bit sore, so he might have quite a recovery before Mexico. Um, also, many people on Twitter have noted that Carlos's Ferrari was taken out by a gentle tap, like a caress from George. Uh, Valtteri's Alpha was beached by a gust of wind, like, Mary Poppins, and Alonzo's Alpine was launched into space like he was in um, Fast and Furious 8, and then he trundled on. What is the Alpine made of? That is, that is just so bizarre. Um, anyway, towards the end of the race, despite the sturdiness of the car, people began to notice Alonzo had a bit of a wobbly mirror, and eventually the wobbly mirror just disappeared. <laughs> so it clearly lost the mirror somewhere along the way. Um, however, it seems that everyone noticed except the FIA because no black and orange flag was issued. This obviously peeved Haas off because Kevin Magnuson seems to be unable to put like a wheel on track without a black and orange flag being whipped into his face. So they launched a complaint against... Um, against Fernando and against Checo, who they said had a loose front wing end plate. But it turns out that Red Bull has decided in light of this whole budget cap situation that they should proceed with full transparency. So they took a picture of the front end plate, front end plate and sent it to the race director who said that it was safe enough to continue driving. So that protest was thrown out. But the Fernando one was not thrown out. And after the race, after everything, the FIA issued a 10-second stop-and-go penalty, which since the race was over, converted to a 30-second time penalty, which put Fernando 15th. Here is, like, my issue with this. Yes, the mirror was loose, and that is dangerous. A lost mirror is even more dangerous, but Fernando's crash happened, like, barely halfway into the race. They had 30 laps to 
notify Alpine to fix it, and they didn't. And it's not like no one else noticed it. We all saw it. So, like, how is that fair after such an incredible drive and the perseverance of both man and car? Uh, he gets hit with a penalty for a safety issue that is the FIA's duty to enforce. And there's no way they couldn't have noticed the mirror. Like, they can see when a car is a millimeter over a white line, but they don't see when a mirror is free-flapping in the wind. Okay. Like, why are you punishing Fernando for your mistake? <sighs> anyway, let's talk about Max a bit. Um, a few laps later... After all of this happened, Max had a significant lead into the race. He was first, he was flying, then he pitted, and it was like the worst pit stop possible. Red Bull, who had whipped out a 2.1 second pit stop for Checo earlier that day um, for tire and front wing change, gave Max an 11 second pit stop. It took so long that Charles, who had pitted after Max, comes out right ahead of him out of the pit lane. And Max, classic Max, gets sassy, gets on the radio, says, beautiful, fucking beautiful. Um, no, sometimes, sometimes aggressive Max has to come out. And I guess when you have an 11 pit, second pit stop, that's the time. Um, but this put Charles in P5 and Max in P6, right behind Lewis, who is in P4. And do you know who's leading the race at the moment? Sebastian Vettel. What a moment. Anyway, back to Max's race. We have we see him have like this epic battle with Charles, who does put up quite a fight. Uh, Max overtakes Charles before Charles pulls the old switcheroo on him and takes the position right back, and they keep going for a bit before Max finally overtakes and sticks the landing, which means he's now on the hunt for Lewis. Um, side note, Charles was having a great day today. He also had an epic battle with Checo, which saw him overtake him in like a great move that left Checo pretty salty and complaining that Charles had exceeded track limits. Anyways, it was a clean overtake from Charles and though he lost position to Max in this particular battle, it was still really fun to watch. Max and Charles are a good duo. Um, okay, so before we get into the Max and Lewis battle, let's let's give a quick moment to Seb. Um, Seb is leading the race at the moment, but um, not long after Max fights his way to P3, overtaking Charles, Lewis overtakes Seb into first. To be fair, Seb didn't really fight it. I don't really know why, whether he knew he was about to pit or because he was like, this isn't my fight. He just like let him go. But um, right after he pitted, and it was literally even a worse pit stop than Max. His is 16 seconds long. Like, he would come out, he would have come out in 6th, and he comes out in 13th. He was literally fighting for a podium position 10 seconds ago, or 16 seconds ago. Um, and now he's not. So that was heartbreak for Seb in that moment. But um, I can report that Seb had an incredible race finish. He came in P8 after he overtook Kevin, like, within touching distance of the racing line. Like, the way I visualized it is that scene from Cars where he sticks, Lightning McQueen sticks his tongue out to reach the finish line first. That's basically what Seb's car did. It, like, stuck its tongue out to get there first. And it was an incredible final lap from both of them, actually. But Seb just, like, sent it in the last few seconds. And people kept saying he was, like, a man possessed today. I guess that's apt. Like, he was, he was on fire. 
Um, but what I also liked was someone posted online um, Kevin's dad and Seb's father being both super excited about this battle between their sons. I loved it. Um, but I do think just like quick Seb sad moment that this was a really bittersweet moment for a lot of Seb fans and who isn't a Seb fan um, as it was like his like one of his last races in the sport ever. So I think we're all going to really miss baby Seb. Um, all right, now to the Max and Lewis battle. <sighs> Lewis is now leading the race, but Max is closing in on him. And there was actually serious doubt that Max would come close. A lot of people had just basically declared Lewis the winner of this um, race. And like, Lewis finally got his first win of the season. Woohoo. Um, but Max is fast and his car is fast and fast Max and a fast car is not good for anyone in his way. So, um, with Max closing in on Lewis, it, like, really is a 2021 flashback. They, like, battled wheel to wheel for, like, four corners, and I just, like, imagined the, um, dance of the little swans from the Swan Lake playing over it, because it, they just, like, seemed so in sync. Like, you know, I need to stop singing on this podcast. Anyway, it was beautiful for like four corners. They just were matching each other wheel to wheel perfectly. And then uh, Max eventually overtakes Lewis and is once again leading the race. But one of my favorite parts about all of this was that Lewis got salty about um, losing P1, understandably. But he gets on the radio to say that Max exceeded track limits when he overtook him. And after that, he basically just went full hall monitor and starts reporting every time he thinks Max exceeds track limits. In his defense, Max was getting a warning from his engineer to be careful because he was driving dangerously close to the limit and he was coming up on um, exceeding his strikes. But... Um, what I found hilarious was that uh, after filing yet another report on Max, Lewis's engineer gets on the radio and goes, uh, Lewis, you've got three strikes on track limits. Uh, so I guess moral of the story is watch your own car. But also moral of the story is the FIA needs to get a better process of identifying track limits than like eyeballing it. Um, but yeah, I thought it was kind of funny. Um, Drivers love calling out other people's track limits. It's it it's amusing. Um, another highlight performance was from Lando. In the la last 13 laps, he overtook Guan Yu, and then he overtook Alex Alvin, and then he overtook Esteban Ocon, and then he overtook Fernando Alonso in the last lap. Way to go, Lando. Where where did that performance come from? Um Quickly mention um, all of the penalties issued <laughs> during this race. Uh, there was, of course, Alonso's 30-second penalty that came afterwards. Lance's three-place grid drop, which will be applied next race. Uh, Latifi got a five-second penalty for forcing Mick off the grid. Pierre... <laughs> oh my god, Pierre. Pierre got a five-second penalty for leaving more than 10 car spaces um, between the safety car. Um, which... A lot of people were basically like, it's kind of unfair because the car in front of him sped up and there was like half a second for him to speed up too, you know, and like in that half a second, yeah, there were more car spaces, I guess. Um, but he got hit with the penalty, he served his penalty, and then he got hit with a second penalty because the FIA felt that he hadn't served the first one correctly. 
Um, and honestly, it kind of feels like they're trying to punish him for throwing a fit last week when they almost killed him with a tractor. Understandably, why wouldn't the FAA want to punish him for um, complaining that he was almost killed by a tractor? Um, also, didn't Chaco do a similar thing a couple races back and just got like a warning? Don't know. All right, so let's talk about the podium a bit. Max finishes first, followed by Lewis in second, and Charles in third. Huge shout out to Charles for overcoming the birthday curse. He had some amazing battles and finished on the podium despite starting the race in P12. That is an incredible comeback for Charles. And also, an inc I hope this sets like a precedent of like bad things not defining his, um, his weekend, you know? I know most of this is out of his control, but, like, this was, like, a good, I feel like this was a good booster. Um, but they all look exhausted, <laughs> like, completely out of breath. Um, also, the cool-down room looks like a lot of fun, but the mics suck. I couldn't understand a word anyone was, was saying, and I would love to hear all these conversations. So please improve the mics in the cool-down room, because I don't want to just watch them mouth and not know what they're saying. Um, also, I appreciate that they once again had Shaq deliver the trophy in his, like, longhorn leather car thing, um, but I also would like to commend them for not having him distribute the trophy this time. Part of me is, like, did the drivers ask not to be put next to a man literally, like, four times their size? Because <laughs> um, the pictures from last year were hilarious. Also, this win solidified Red Bull as the constructor champion for the first time in like 15 years, and I'm very happy for them. Um, it was also really sweet, uh, sweet to watch all the Dietrich tributes. Like he clearly meant a lot to them. Um, and my favorite quote was actually from Mattia, who recapped the day. There's a bit on Ferrari, but there is a bit on Red Bull, which is why I'm saying this quote. Through no fault of his own, Carlos was out after the opening lap. Charles, meanwhile, staged a great climb up the order, which took him all the way to the podium. We know that currently we are lacking something in the races when compared to Red Bull, who, by winning the title today, honor their founder in the best possible way. thought that was a really nice quote. Um, but yeah, Christian and Max were both wiping away tears during the Austrian National Anthem. Never seen Max cry, but I guess something about the Austrian National Anthem really got him going. Uh, for Dietrich. Um, I also have to say that I'm like all for celebrating the lives of loved ones that have passed away and honoring them in the way you see fit. I love the jeans thing. I love the Rolling Stones thing. All of it was amazing. But how is shoving every single Red Bull team member into a weird wooden boat car in front of the podium commemorating his life or commemorating this win? Like, what was the purpose of it? It looked super uncomfortable. And also, Cheka was shoved, like, right up there in the middle of everyone, and they're all, like, sardines in a can. And he just drove a race. He probably smelled. Like, I wouldn't want to be in, in that boat. Um, but, of course, we can't finish discussing the race without talking about Tim Cook. I don't know why, out of every single celebrity on track this weekend, F1 was like, you know who we should have? wave the flag the person no one will recognize tim cook who is the ceo of apple and apparently he can ceo all day long but he cannot wave a flag nor did he like give a fuck it was like the most half-assed flag wave i've ever seen instead of making like shitty pit lane jokes about brad give him the dang flag you don't have to keep him in the pit lane to make those jokes if you desperately want to make those jokes 
But like, give someone worthwhile. That was rude. Tim Cook is worthwhile. <laughs> but Brad Pitt would have waved that flag much better. Just saying. Okay, so the driver of the day is officially Seb, and I 100% agree. Um, Seb drove like a man possessed today. Um, but I would also like to give an honorable mention to Fernando, who once again, like, wheelied his way through half the race and still finished seventh. We're gonna ignore the penalty. Basically, today goes out to the senior citizens. <laughs> Never underestimate them. Um, and the dig in the box box, I would have to say perhaps George for accidentally ruining yet another race, or perhaps Lance for defending Fernando straight into space, but also the FIA for, like, issuing a 30-second penalty for their own mistake. Um, by the way, remember that investigation into the tractor on the track in the middle of the storm? The conclusion they came to for that investigation was we will no longer put tractors on the track in the middle of a storm. Sounds like it was a very thorough investigation indeed. Also, I suppose honorable mention goes to Tim Cook's flag-waving skills or maybe Tim Cook's enthusiasm for flag-waving. Maybe they should do like a mini interview, like how do you feel about waving a flag? Is this something you're interested in? On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rank your passion for checkers? Yeah. Um, so the results after Fernando's penalty were uh, Max, Lewis, Charles, Checo, George, Lando, Seb, Kevin, Yuki, Esteban, Joe, Alex, Pierre, Mick, Fernando, Daniel, Latifi, Lance, Valtteri, Carlos, and the last three all DNF'd. The standings, Max has won the Drivers' Championship, so now it's Charles v. Checo for a second, um, and Charles is two points ahead. And Red Bull has won the Constructor Championship, so now it's Ferrari versus Mercedes for third, with Ferrari ahead by 53 points, and Alpine versus Mercedes for fourth, with Alpine ahead by six points. And that's it for the... American Grand Prix. That was fun. Um, there are three races left before the end of the season, and all is still for play. Just kidding. There's nothing left to play, but um, you should still watch because it's it's going to be fun. Um, next week is Mexico, and we'll be rooting for hometown hero Checo, of course. Um, otherwise, as always, follow, subscribe, leave a review, uh, share with a potential box. Um, Make sure you follow on Instagram because I share all those in between social moments. So uh, see you soon. Box, box.